steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Ardell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, we are taking a look at the Vikings' key matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Week 14 of the 2020 NFL season. So, um, this is obviously a crucial matchup for your Vikings, standing at 6-6, six and six, the opportunity to not just be at 500, but go over that mark as well. Um, in addition to the fact that they are playing against an opponent who currently stands just one game in front of them, in the NFC playoff standing. So big matchup this week, uh, really good opponent, a lot of all pro quality players that will be participating in this matchup, headlined, of course, by Tom Brady. Uh, we'll spend some time on him as well as the playmakers on this team and um, some of the other things that could uh, play a factor in the Vikings' result to this game. So uh, let's get right into it here. Um, Starting with the quarterback, of course. I don't think it's possible to talk about the Buccaneers and start with someone other than Tom Brady. So, um, what a statement that is, by the way. Think of that, like you know, nine months ago, saying that, right. or you know, and uh, but yeah, it's Tom Brady's Tampa Buccaneer, and it's it's kind of it's almost worked out exactly how you expect, right? Um, where because you kind of went in and Brady and Arians were like the opposites, right? I mean, last year Jameis was Completely throwing, agree. you know average depth of target was highest in the league, you know, kind of the risk it for the biscuit type quarterback throwing down the field, high touchdown, high interception numbers. Um, and then, you know, Brady goes in there and, you know, last few years, obviously he's been, you know, I don't want to say check down Charlie, but uh, you know, he's been throwing short, more comfortable throwing underneath. Uh, that's been Quick the Patriots passes. offense. That's been the Patriots offense for a while, um, basically since the Moss era, it seems like. And right. so now you kind of throw Brady in there and there, there has been a, bit of a clash it seems of the of those two philosophies or um you know ideas working out between Brady and Arians uh, but with that said they're seven and five and they definitely have the potential to kind of have a big explosive play really at any time with the weapons that they have and of course time Brady throwing it's just uh, there has been some clunker games in there too so this is a growing pain season for a team that really doesn't have much time to grow out of it right Tom Brady's, what, 42, 43 years old. Uh, he's at the very end. Uh, that's common knowledge. He's, you know, he'd be lucky to have two years after this season, right? So they just don't have the time to, you know, to fight, basically. <laughs> they don't. And so you've kind of gotten this Minnesotan passive-aggressive thing with Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. And honestly, I think that this is a factor in this game, and that's why I'm going to uh, entertain the, the arguments between Brady and, uh, and Arians because – I like that you pointed it out right from the stop, right from the jump here, because this is this is what I was expecting. Bruce Arians is an all-out attack downfield type of coach. He's one of the he's arguably, if not the most aggressive coach in the entire NFL, especially from an offensive standpoint. Um, he he likes to throw the ball seventy-five to eighty percent of the time. 
Now, Brady has done that in his career. You mentioned the Moss year, and there's a couple of other years outside of that one as well. But that being said, I'm not saying he's a check, you know, check down Charlie, but he is, you know, a ball control quarterback. He's more of a facilitator, like, Chris Paul in the NBA where you're trying to get the ball to your playmaker and let him do something with it as opposed to a guy like, you know, a point forward like LeBron James, who is going to bring it up the court and then attack to the attack, the basket. Brady's just not that guy anymore. He doesn't attack anymore. He's more putting his guys in the right position, diagnosing the defense, the line of scrimmage and using his cerebral, you know, qualities and assets at that uh, to essentially to allow the game to kind of progress as he feels. Now, Bruce Arians is this like he's the same way in the sense that yes he also wants to control the game like that's his personality he's a tough-minded in my opinion stubborn individual who is unwilling to adapt his system to the tendencies that Brady has shown can lead to championships he doesn't seem to care and I think Tony Dungy has talked about this multiple times on NBC uh, Sports' Football Night in America where it's just like if you just give Brady like ten of his favorite plays from New England. And let him do that when you know when things are breaking down, he'll be able to get back into a rhythm because he's been doing it for 20 years. But Arians, for whatever reason, continues to run this three wide receiver set, barely, barely even using Ronald Jones, who is an okay player, but has come on a little bit stronger this season as opposed to what we've seen in the past. I mean, there was one game where the running backs had like five touches. Tom Brady is not used to, you know, an Adrian Peterson type running game where it's literally controlling the outcome of the game, but he is used to a guy like Lawrence Maroney, who's going to give you 600, 700 yards, or a guy like James White, who is going to give you 400 rushing yards and maybe 500 receiving yards. These are assets that he simply does not have in Tampa Bay, Mm -hmm. and it's made for a different style of play for him this season. Well, I think one of the things that you noticed right away, I I remember – you know, a couple nights ago, I actually had fantasy implications on the line for, I believe, the Rams game. So I was watching closely on the uh, the Sunday night game. And um, you noticed right away that uh, they weren't running or they weren't throwing to the running backs very much. And when they did, uh, when Brady did throw it to the running backs, they couldn't catch it. So, like, that's one thing, too, where he was able to use James White so much uh, in the past. And, you know, now when he tries to check it down, it just it isn't working. And so now he's, he's being more reliant on the downfield throws. And he – uh, maybe he doesn't have the arm, doesn't have the connection yet with these guys, whatever the case may be, but there is a bit of a miscommunication and it's not quite there for him yet. And we're 13 weeks into the season. Right. Right. And that's, you know, that's a big piece here for the success of this team. Is there any doubt in my mind that a Tom Brady led team with all of these weapons can get hot and win the Super Bowl? No, I, I certainly think that this is one of the most complete rosters in the NFL in, ter- in terms of talent. I think the coaching is tremendous as well for all the knocks that I have on Bruce Arians being kind of, hard-nosed uh he's also a tremendous innovator he's one of the best in the business at coming up with scheme you know quality schemes that give his opponents fits um he he is one of the best offensive mind period that the league has to offer the problem is is that he's being paired with a guy who is arguably the greatest winner that the league has ever had to offer in tom brady and you've got two stubborn guys who are stuck in their ways trying to adapt to something with a bunch of young guys who are just like, hey, I'll do it. It's fine. I'll do it. Tell me what I'm doing. Okay? That's kind of what it is. And it's, it's an awkward situation for guys like Chris Evans – or excuse me, I combined them. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who are younger players. They're used to playing with savvy – you know, at least a quarterback that can get them the ball. But they've never had, you know, coach on quarterback internal kind of passive aggression going on around them. 
And then you throw in Antonio Brown into the mix, which is entirely Tom Brady, by the way, and just reinforces my point that he's going to impose his will on whatever team he's playing for. And Arians is pissed about that. So that just adds another dimension to kind of a, you know, this isn't, this would be a dumpster fire if they had lost three more games than they have because of all of the media headlines that are circulating around this team. But because they're winning, because they're in the playoff picture, and because they still have you know, a very outside chance of winning their division, it's not a dumpster fire. It's just you know, competitors arguing. I think, and this is kind of you know, my sort of bold take on this game, is that Zimmer is the optimal coach to face this type of organization right now. He is a defensive guy who gives offensive-minded people fits, and he can create that kind of division between Arians and Brady because Brady's going to be on the field seeing the game develop, right? So he's going to have a perception in his mind on how he's going to most effectively get the ball to his playmakers. Arians is going to have watched tape from every Vikings game for the last six weeks or so, probably even more, and he's going to think that he knows everything about how to beat Mike Zimmer's defense. But if he throws a wrench into the puzzle, all of a sudden you have conflicting viewpoints of two guys who are set in their ways, both very accomplished, and I think that adds a kind of an edge to the Vikings game here that Las Vegas isn't going to account for because it's ridiculous to just be like, oh, I hope this is what's going to happen to swing the game. But it's something that could happen. It's something that could have real influence in this game. And all of a sudden you have Tampa Bay fighting itself and the Vikings, and that might be enough to push the Vikings over the edge towards a victory in this game. So I like what you say there about, you know, the fact that, you know, Zimmer could create that division between Brady and Arians um, and kind of maybe, maybe have it come to fruition a little bit more, but I will add this. I feel like what Brady and Arians will most agree on is targeting weak cornerbacks, which is what the Vikings have. Uh, And they also have, you know, Tampa also has really, really good receivers uh, to target those cornerbacks with. And so that is the biggest worry for me in this game out of anything, right? Like I think the Vikings offense is efficient enough um, to move the ball and at least kind of keep the Vikings around for a while, right? Uh, barring the big mistake that seems to be a, you know, a, a talking point with this offense every single week. But for the Brady in, in the Bucks offense versus Vikings defense, it's just going to be how the corners hold up against Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, uh, and then a Gronk too. One guy also, by the way, that's totally Tom Brady to have him right. as part of this team too. Um, so the, the Bucks receiving core versus the Vikings corners – if the Vikings can just hold up, like, like put a bandaid on it or, you know, keep it under wraps, uh, Vikings can stay competitive in this game. But I just think there's so much talent there. You're kind of, you're kind of, you're going to rely on Cameron Dantzler to carry his really good play into this. Uh, but even then it's just a lot to ask to keep this receiving group under wraps. So in addition to that too, like you're right there, that is one thing that the coach and quarterback can agree on is attacking the weakest man. Um, they've been, both the guys have been doing that for years. Now what adds more trouble to that for the Vikings is that when you look at, you know, kind of what this, what the Vikings like to do, what, what can work for this young secondary, right? It's probably playing zone coverage super efficiently and allowing Harrison Smith to sort of run the floor and do what he wants. That's probably the greatest strength of this group on a consistent basis right now now against a quarterback like tom brady who's super smart and literally his entire career right now thrives on his ability to be smart with the football it's a lot harder to play zone coverage against that guy 
it's harder to just sit back and cover two or cover three and just play defense because he's going to pick apart that zone, which forces you into a man concept. And depending on how far you want to do it across the board, generally we see Mike Zimmer, you know, go man with his corners and zone with his safeties. If he does just that, then Brady has to is forced to pick apart Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, which I like a lot better. But at the exact same time, you're also putting guys one-on-one with two of the best receivers in the NFL. And I'm not even including Antonio Brown in that situation. So you've got Mike Evans, who's a top five, Chris Godwin, who's a top 10, Antonio Brown, who's top two when he's sane. I mean, and then you throw in, in you know, Rob Gronkowski, who you may or may not have an answer for, depending on Eric Kendricks' status. It's a very, very tough situation for a young defense to get ahead. I, I think they have the ability to maintain, but I don't see any potential for the Vikings defense finding an edge in this game, barring some sort of ridiculous confusion, fight with the coaches, or just a Brady fumble because he's old. Yeah, and I mean, the one I think, you know, glimmer of optimism that I've found is so I haven't found it. I guess it was my roommate who is also a Vikings fan. He, he suggested this to me, and I think it's pretty good is that um, Zimmer gets up for a game against an elite quarterback, right? Uh, You know, Mike Glennon's not going to get him fired up. Uh, Andy Dalton's not going to get him fired up. Uh, But, you know, in these games with, against Rogers, against Brady, against Breeze, against Russell Wilson, you've, you notice that the Vikings kind of hang around a little bit. It's a game plan thing that for whatever reason, I don't know, this might not be him putting in more, any more time. It might just be a competitive thing. I don't know what it is, but uh, even the Vikings, I used to play the Patriots a couple of years ago at uh, Foxborough, and the Vikings hung around there for longer than they should have probably um, against that stout Patriots defense without anything from the Vikings offense in that game. Defensively, the Vikings were good enough to win. Um, so it's just – that's the only thing I have to hold on for because especially with Kendricks being uh, – did not practice Wednesday. Um, does not look great for his chances this weekend. Um, and, you know, really you're going to rely on – Harrison Smith is going to be the only guy you can trust. Uh, and it's really been kind of the, the same mainstay over the past few years. So it's going to be a Zimmer game. If he can game plan something to kind of, you know, uh, establish, I guess reestablish or uh, cement his reputation as this defensive genius game, game planner and defensive play caller, this is a chance for him to cement that this week against Brady and Arians. So if there are any kind of holds on this offense, um, and on the flip side of that, who is the guy that you would allocate most of your resources to? So where is kind of the, the biggest hole, the biggest issue you need to cover up and where's the biggest hole that you could potentially exploit within this group? That's a good one. I mean, there is, I mean, talent wise, there's talent everywhere. And the, the thing about, like, I, I feel like they're run there. I was going to say, you know, the running game seems weak, but it's really not uh, running. Ronald Jones runs the ball pretty well. And I think yards per carry wise, he's up there with the best in terms of the volume runners in the league. Um, so, you know, I, I think what you do is you had, you have to get to Brady, right? Like he has shown vulnerability when he's pressured. So I think right. that's the first thing. And it's going to be up to Zimmer to, to scheme those and, and disguise things well enough that even Tom Brady can't pick them apart, um, which is definitely a challenge. Uh, but I think that's the Vikings hope to containing this offense. Absolutely. You know, I think press, pressure is the answer for every quarterback, but it's more the answer for a quarterback who is a statue in the pocket. You know, we yeah. talk about this with Kirk Cousins all the time. The same kind of concepts can be applied to Tom Brady. Obviously, he's light years ahead in terms of processing speed from just about every quarterback. Uh, but if you can uh, if you can get into a situation where you force him to take three and five, five and seven step drops, um, which Arians likes to do, there will be that opportunity to create manufactured pressure. 
you know, uh, just simply because there's enough time because he needs to hold the ball longer for routes to develop. Now, Antonio Brown's one of the best route runners in the league still. Uh, he's going to be open probably the entire game. That makes me very nervous. Whether he gets the ball seems to be in Arians' hands uh, more than anything else, but that makes me very nervous. Now, Cameron Dantzler on Mike Evans makes me nervous for a different reason. You've got a seven-year veteran who's, you know, a 1,000 yards every year of his career against the guy who, you know, I'm getting closer to being ready to say that he's a quality starter in the NFL, but I'd, I'd like to see some more consistency, and this just doesn't seem like the type of week to build consistency. Godwin and Evans are going to be a trouble for anyone, let alone a quarterback – or excuse me, a cornerback who has 10 games of experience under his belt mm-hmm. and just – doesn't inspire a ton of confidence for a full 60 minutes. You get nice plays from Dantzler. Last week, you probably got 55 and 60 minutes from him, but you have to be nervous about that one play because it could go for 70 yards. Evans is athletic. Edwins and Godwin and Brown as well are all good enough to take a, you know, a five yard hitch and turn it into an 80 yard touchdown. Uh, and Brady's smart enough to diagnose the defense in a way that's going to set his playmakers up in space. So that makes me nervous. It's all about preparation. And you're right. This is a Zimmer game because it's a matter of getting his guys prepared for the smartest quarterback I have ever personally watched play. Um, Mm -hmm. So that makes me very nervous. I don't think the Vikings can find an edge there, but if you can slow down the run and force these five and seven step drops, potentially get some sort of force for some level of adversity early in the game, just to kind of get them off of their rhythm. Uh, I think that's a difference maker as well. You get an interception on the first, second, third drive. Um, all of a sudden they're re-scheming. They're kind of getting out of that 15, for 15 initial plays concept, potentially playing from behind as well. That's really the only way that you can control this offense as far as I'm concerned from within your power. Uh, other than that, to me, it's kind of a fate with destiny. You're dealing with a team that mm-hmm. simply if they get hot, hot offensively, I don't know any defense that can slow them down, let alone one that's covered in rookies. Right. I mean, I'm just like looking back to that Saints game where the Bucks just got destroyed, right? And I think it was, you know, the Saints executed so well so early that it was over after it was a 10 or 14 point deficit because it feels like the Bucks are almost not good coming from behind just because Brady does love to check down so much and use those running backs, use those underneath stuff. And those guys aren't reliable as receivers uh, right in that instance, right? Like in New England, he had James White where he could throw a five yard check down or even less than that, right? He turned it into 15 yards. Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette don't even catch the ball. So uh, he's forced to throw that down the field. But I think, like you said, the only edge would be, A, if they get off to a hot start somehow, which football's weird enough where that could happen, right? But right. Um, I think, B, then the other option is just to match them in a shootout. And as weird as it sounds, I might I have more optimism in that than I do the Vikings containing this defense um, unless we get a, a spectacular Zimmer game plan game. But uh, offensively, the Vikings have certainly the firepower to match up now one thing to note that i'm gonna harp on again i've been saying it for a few weeks now but Dallin cook's getting the ball too much um i think they need to air it out more than they are and this is the what i think is the number one run defense in the nfl in tampa bay and so uh i think they need to rely more on Thielen, more on jefferson get those guys both at the very least in double digit targets um and kind of feed cook through the passing game and that way, you know, that I think the Vikings can put up points against this defense. This isn't to say that the secondary is terrible or anything, but I think they're really efficient in the, against the run, which is why I think Kubiak should be putting together a game plan that focuses on the passing game. So 
let's let's talk about this defense here then kind of try to figure out where the holes lie. Uh, they're going to run a 4-3 defense, so uh, pretty pretty traditional in terms of what you'll expect. Um, excuse me, this is 3-4. That's my bad. Uh, and uh, so I guess complete opposite of what I just said, just ignore the last five seconds there. Uh, and they trot out a bunch of names here, but I don't know how much is really behind these names anymore. So, like, I'm going to give you a list of some of these players here. And if these, team, if these guys were all playing together five years ago, I think it's a little scarier. You've got Ndamukin Sue, who's going to be playing mm-hmm. defensive end, by the way. He's not playing three technique. He's playing that 3-4 defensive end role. You've also got Jason Pierre-Paul, who's technically a linebacker now and no longer playing that 4-3 defensive end spot like he was in New York. Uh, you've also got Levante David, who I think is still very good, but yeah. was tremendous five years ago. Um, and then you've got, some guy, you've got a couple of younger guys on the back end. Um, my point being here is that, you know, the biggest names on this team, I think that the names that grab the most headlines are all guys that I would say are probably past their prime. At the same time, though, you've got guys on the literally the complete end of the spectrum. Second-year player Devin White, who's outstanding at linebacker. you got rookie safety Antoine Winfield, who everyone in Minnesota is familiar with um, in his ball skills. Um, Carlton Davis at cornerback, and then Sean Murphy Bunting, hilarious last name, but neither of them are particularly difficult um, you know, I guess they, I would say neither of them are particularly established players, um, but they don't, I don't, I don't think their name inspires confidence, but you play them. I mean, I've seen Murphy bunting pop up with multiple big interceptions this year. And I don't think anything of this guy, I know very little about him, but every time I turn on the TV, it seems like he's around the ball. So like, you know, the PFF score might not say it with this guy, but like, it concerns me when you're playing against the Vikings who, we see it every week, it feels like, who just have that propensity to make that stupid turnover. And I think they have enough guys with experience and enough guys with you know, skills and talent with, with regard to finding the football and doing something with it that it, it makes me nervous that the defense could be involved in the shootout too. Yeah, I mean, I think Carlton Davis is a big one. He's, he's got the four picks this year. He's opportunistic, right? That's the one that Kirk's going to have to worry about. Um, you know, when he's throwing the ball down the field, I think. But, I mean, Lante, David, uh, Devin White, these linebackers are really good. Uh, and then you pointed out the secondary is kind of young, but um, they're, they're, they're enough to worry about for sure. And um, so I mean, this defense is certainly better the top than defense? the Vikings have played the last few weeks. Right. I mean, this defense is better than they've played the last few weeks. You talk about, you know, Jacksonville, Carolina, Dallas. Uh, that's nothing compared to this Tampa Bay team. But with that said, I think the Vikings, the problem has been just the the weird mistake the last few weeks. If they can eliminate that in this game, like if it's a fumble that's returned for a touchdown or a pick six or a whatever, um, that's happened the last few weeks. They eliminate that. They're putting up a few more points. They have a chance. But uh, again, this is obviously a tough test, and it's there's a reason the Vikings are uh, underdogs by a touchdown. Right, right. Um, I think the running – the point you made about the run defense. I think that's something that's obviously just a major factor for a team that likes to run the ball anywhere between 30 and 40 times a game, most of the time with Dalvin Cook, but with other running backs as well. Um, That has to be concerning here. Generally, when you're playing against a 3-4 defense, the run defense is kind of the weakness, right? They're, they're, They're spreading out their defenders more in order to disallow those short route concepts and also keep guys over the top. Um, while still maintaining the ability to apply pressure in innovative ways. So my point being is that a 3-4 defense typically sacrifices the run a little bit. This group doesn't do that because of the linebacker play that they have. The three guys up front 
that being Sue McClendon and then William Golston are solid players, but they're not the guys that they're not to me. They're not the staples that would make this run defense good. It's Levante David and Devin white, because between two linebackers, they can literally cover from sideline to sideline horizontally on the field. Those two guys are extremely fast. They're extremely rangy. They're smart. I, I would make an argument that Levante David is the most un, one of the most underrated players in the last 10 years of the NFL simply because Tampa Bay hasn't been making headlines. But he is as smart with his instincts as anyone you're going to find. He's always around the football. He always has over 100 tackles. And Devin White is taking on his traits and applying even more athleticism in a, in a bigger frame. So that makes me very nervous from what makes Dalvin Cook good is getting to that second level and beating one of those linebackers. If he runs into either one of those guys – it's probably going to be a tackle just because that's what history has set. So that makes me nervous that instead of getting those six, seven, eight yard runs, you're turning those into three and four yards runs, forcing Kirk to throw the ball a little bit more, which as we've kind of discussed, Tampa Bay is aptly, you know, ready to handle that facet of the Vikings game. If the Vikings go into play from behind mode or Cousins goes into hero mode, we're at the mercy of this team. It's over because they're ready to defend it. It's just, can you get them into the right situation? So really, to me, the simple concepts that you're dealing with here are preparation and discipline. If the Vikings can handle those two things, they're in the game, then it becomes a matter of, well, can you execute? And of course, that's every week and every team's you know, goal. Um, but you got to come prepared and you got to come and you got to be disciplined with everything that's going on, whether it's Brady, whether it's Arians, whether it's the smart players that they have on their defense, you need to, the Vikings need to win the penalty battle this game and they probably need to win the turnover battle to have a chance. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of the way that I see it is they need to not shoot themselves in the foot, which we know the Vikings have the propensity for doing. Uh, and they also need to execute. They need to make the plays count when the, you know, when the, um, when the hole opens up. Um, and again, that's just, that's something that remains to be seen, but it's hard to be confident in um, knowing what we do about both these organizations. I think the first quarter, first quarter and a half is going to be big. Um, I think if, you know, that the Vikings can lose the game in the first quarter of this game, I don't think they can win it because as we saw with the Seattle game, for example, uh, you know, a double touchdown lead does not mean anything sometimes for this team, but I think they can definitely lose this game early on as they did uh, against, you know, Atlanta or Indianapolis or Green Bay, um, where that first half really told the story of those games. So keeping the game competitive early on, um, kind of staying within yourself, uh, staying within them uh, is going to be important and not making that big mistake that, you know, like, for example, a pick six and a fumble recovery for a touchdown the last couple of weeks, you don't beat Tampa Bay with those. Um, you know, like they did against Carolina and Jacksonville. So um, it's, yeah, if, if they're in this game, you know, around halftime, I think it'll be a fun one. Yep. Yeah. And really to me that the Vikings need to score on their first or second drive, I feel like. Um, and that's, you know, what they drew up and came into this game with the goal of having success. They need, they need to have success with that. Like they need to find rhythm early. Um, and that mean to me, like this is the you know how Zimmer likes to defer, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. And I, I prefer that too, by the way, getting the ball at halftime as opposed to the start of the game. Um, I think this is the type of game where you choose to take the ball first because you want to get out to that seven oh start. Um or at least have the opportunity to do that. Because getting out in front makes this team want to go one dimensional. They already want to, right? Arians oh, all yeah. They definitely have that tendency. You know, things right. start going haywire and they immediately go to the air. Yeah, and we, the Vikings want that. I, for as 
much of an issue as the cornerbacks may be, um, the Vikings still have an advantage knowing what's coming. So if you can bet that four out of five plays are going to be passing plays, the Vikings are at a much steeper advantage than if they're playing the guessing game well into the third quarter. So turning up the heat early is a big one. Um, obviously, it's big in every game, but they have to do literally what the, the opposite of what they did in Jacksonville last week or against Jacksonville last week, I should say. And don't make the stupid mistakes. Don't make stupid penalties. Don't fumble on the goal line for sure. And definitely don't lead off the second half of the pick six. If you can do those things, you'll be yeah. in this game because you have enough talent to do so. Uh, but really, this is going to – I think this will come down to coaching and uh, how how much how much of Bruce Arians' nerves can Mike Zimmer get on throughout this game. game? And that mm-hmm. really – uh, Yeah, I think, I think Zimmer has to outcoach – I think Zimmer has to outcoach Zimmer, or yeah, outcoach Arians. Excuse me, Zimmer has to beat Arians pretty good to win this game. I, I mean, I think there's a good chance. Again, this has happened before, where Zimmer's outcoached the other team, um, outcoached uh, the opposing coach, and lost on the uh, you know the, the the fact that another superstar player makes a, a good enough play. But um, I think this is a case where you know if Zimmer can outcoach Arians enough, they can win this game. Okay, so with all that being said, then, uh, do they do it, in your mind? Uh, I've kind of gone back and forth with this throughout the week. Obviously, this being a big game, it's on my mind a little bit more than, say, a Vikings-Jaguars game. Uh, and I, I, haven't, I haven't really gotten to the point where I feel comfortable predicting one way or the other, but that's what we're going to do now. So uh, where do you see this game going? Do you think it's going to be close? Do you think it's going to be – uh, you know, high scoring affair. What is kind of the your perception of the route this game's going to take? Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to pick the Vikings. You know, I, I think they can win, right? Um, but I, I'm going to pick Tampa Bay. They're the better team. They got more talent. There's just better players uh, on that roster, and they've you know ha- they've had the the explosive games so far this year that you just can't count them out. So. I'm going to go Tampa Bay, but I will say, I think from what I've noticed, I think Vegas is giving some good value for the Vikings this week. If you're, if you're a gambler in a state where sports betting is legal. That's six and a half points, right? Yeah. And then I think the money line has got to be over two to one. So yeah, uh, there's some good value there. If you're that type of uh, a football fan or uh, enough of a Vikings fan to, to wager on that. So I, I like the value in that pick as well. Um, if you are a betting man, I would take the Vikings this week. I think they cover that six and a half point spread and, uh, you know, if Eric Kendricks is ruled out, you might even get seven points, um, in which case I'd take that for sure. Because uh, I think the Vikings are going to be in this game. I just don't think they're going to win. I have to take Tampa Bay, too. Um, there's, you know, in, if, if, if we were to do kind of a, you know, the, the equivalent of a pros and cons list, right, where if you were to look at kind of the pros of, you know, what Tampa Bay does well and, uh, you know, the cons of what the Vikings do well, that intersection just makes me very nervous because of what Tampa Bay is able to do offensively and what the Vikings have kind of shown a weakness in defensively makes me very nervous, that overlap in the middle. So to me, I can come up with more reasons why the Vikings should lose than more reasons than they should win is basically what this kind of prediction comes down to is I think they have, I'm with you. I think that they have the opportunity to do so. I just don't think it's realistic to predict it. Um, I think this is, this is definitively an upset. And this is an exciting moment for the Vikings because they have the opportunity. It just doesn't feel realistic to me at this juncture. I think it's more likely that they back into the playoffs after losing this game and you know, finding a way to beat the Saints or something like that um, than actually taking the edge this week. So interesting game. I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to watch this one, but my expectations are low. I, I think it's going to be Brady again. 
Um, he's known as a December quarterback for a reason. Uh, I don't think the Vikings are an exception to that rule. So uh, Drew and I will both roll Tampa Bay um, and hope for us to both be wrong, of course. But uh, <clears throat> that being said here, let's jump into the rest of our picks for week 14 here. Uh, quick update on where we stand. Uh, I, I went 11-4 and four last week. Drew went in 10-5. and five. That means that there is now a one-game division between the two of us with Drew, Drew having the lead. Um, we enter a big three weeks for our purposes. I know no one actually cares that's listening to this, but for our bragging rights, uh, we've got three big weeks coming up here. So first one that's on the docket Thursday night or tonight, if you're listening to this as of the date of posting, uh, we've got New England and the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, both teams coming off of huge wins. New England coming off of a shutout, uh, probably the best game they've played all year. Uh, the Rams probably winning the most important game that they've had all year against a division rival in Arizona. Uh, both teams play really well. You're right. Uh, I'm going to kind of go with the upset here. I'm going to go with new England. Um, I think their defense has found something and I mean, they shut down Arizona and obviously shut down the Chargers last week. Uh, and so I think it's going to be one of those bad Jared Goff games. I think Belichick gets to him. So I'm going to hit the Patriots. So I'm going to take Los Angeles. Um, I think that this has the potential to be like kind of the passing of the torch type of thing. Uh, with Belichick and McVay, like mm. who is the new power in coaching, uh, <laughs> if that even makes sense. Um, but um, I'm going to say that they take advantage of this opportunity. I think I think Los Angeles is functioning at about as high a level as they can in terms of efficiency, and that's really the number one thing to stop Bill Belichick is if you can remain efficient and stay on schedule when he's trying to get you off it, that gives you an opportunity to win. So I'm going to take Los Angeles here. Um, Next one here, a lot of really bad football games, but bad teams that are going to be competitive with one another, and that starts with Houston and Chicago, in my mind. Uh, Deshaun Watson has put this team on his back. Uh, They're competitive every week now, uh, despite losing everything that they have at wide receiver, some self-imposed, some dumb mistakes. Uh, And kind of on the flip side of that, Chicago's defense is still one of the best in the league. It's just their offense can't do anything. So this is offense versus defense, and who gets it done? Uh, I got Houston. Uh, they were very close to beating Indianapolis last week. Um, also, I saw today that Mitch Trubisky has reclaimed the highest passer rating in Bears history, which is kind of <laughs> kind of fun to think about. Uh, but I have Deshaun Watson winning this game. I'm going to take Houston as well. I'm just going to bet on the better quarterback, simple as that. Um, so we'll both roll Houston here and move on to another one. Um, Dallas and Cincinnati, again, two terrible teams, but because two terrible teams are playing against each other, uh, this might be interesting. So if you're a gambler, I mean, this might be fun. But uh, you've got Andy Dalton going home to Cincinnati. Really, that's the true narrative here. Um, revenge game. <laughs> yeah. Is he able to get revenge on the team that let him loose for and made the right choice to draft Joe Burrow? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll take Dallas just because I – uh, I think what, the Bengals sub. I don't even really know. Is it Brandon Allen at quarterback? I don't know. That's exactly who it was. Who is, but uh, anyway, I'll take Dallas. Yeah. Somehow there's more stability in Dallas than Cincinnati right now. So I'm going to take Dallas too. Um, Mike McCarthy also really needs a win. Like this is fireable if he loses to Cincinnati. And I'd prefer that he doesn't get fired in year one because I'd like to keep him in the NFC for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, next one here should be a could be fun. Uh, we got Kansas City and Miami squaring off. I know that you and I always pick Kansas City, and I think we're probably going to do the same here. Uh, but this kind of has the same feel as when I was talking about Washington and Pittsburgh as an upset last week. Uh, this has a similar feel to me where it's a very good coach, very well-coached team in Miami. Uh, and mm-hmm. getting better, uh, this is an opportunity game for them 
Kansas City might be glossing over this one. So does Kansas City get it done? I I do think you make a good comparison, the, the Dolphins to Washington. Uh, but I'm still going to take the Chiefs because I think the Chiefs are that much better than Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, I'm going to take the Chiefs too. I mean, we both took Pittsburgh regardless of kind of the sentiment that Washington had an opportunity. I mean, neither of us was going to take that game regardless. It's it's funny that it played out that way, but I don't think there is you know a betting expectation on that, and that's the same thing here. Uh, I don't expect Miami to win. I think they have the ability to, uh, but Kansas City is the logical pick, and I'm going to take them every week for the rest of the season, I think. So Kansas City it is. Um, Arizona and New York, uh, Giants that is. This is an important game, strangely enough, because both these teams are have kind of regressed to the mean and – to me, I thought the mean for the Giants was like two wins. Turns out it's more like six or seven. Uh, Joe Judge is doing a pretty good job getting the most out of his, what he does have there. Um, and literally, that's Colt McCoy. We made a joke about this last week. Uh, and Colt McCoy was able to get it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, can he do it two weeks in a row with Arizona, you know, in the opposite direction? Looked like they were going to be a 10-11 win team. Now they might be falling into that 7-8-9 territory. So who gets it done this week? It could be a huge differentiator for the NFC Conference. Yeah, I need to see something from Arizona's offense before I pick them again. Um, so I'm going to go with the Giants, actually, right here. So I'm, I'm going to take Arizona just because I have no confidence in either of these teams. I've been taking Arizona all season long, and they're killing my picks. Um, but New York, the Giants are just like – they're not even starting Daniel Jones. I mean, I, I just feel uncomfortable picking. Oh, I understand. I, I don't. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable picking Colt McCoy to beat Kyler Murray, especially when it's a, a coaching matchup between two guys who are trying to establish their, their presence in the NFL. There's no, there's no advantage here to me other than the fact that Arizona's more talented. So I'm going to take Arizona. Uh, but again, I, they're, they're sliding. I'm not going to be shocked if they blow this one too. Um, another one here, Denver and Carolina. Uh, I feel like both these teams are kind of out of it, uh, but yeah. this could be an interesting game. Uh, Drew Locke against Teddy Bridgewater. Who do you got in this one? Uh, yeah, I got Teddy. Uh, I mean, the Broncos just look bad. I mean, they kept it close to Kansas City last week, but they can't score any points. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Teddy. I'm gonna take Denver uh, against kind of. I, I'm I'm sw- I'm. This one's tough for me because I don't think either of these teams are ready. Um, and there's a question of who is more ready, and I don't have the answer to that question. Uh, I'm going to take Denver because I like their defense more. Uh, I don't think either of these teams are particularly good at scoring points. I know Christian McCaffrey is expected to come back. Uh, I don't agree with that decision. So maybe he gets less run here and then more if it's Mike, if it's Mike Davis, I think Denver's defense can lock it up. Uh, but they will they'll probably score points if it's McCaffrey. So it's an interesting situation. I'll take Denver on the coin flip just because you're taking Carolina. Uh, AFC South here, Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has been interesting as well this year. Uh, they are officially a roller coaster team, just kind of similar to Baltimore. Uh, losing to Cleveland in horrific fashion last week. Um, losing nail biters in recent weeks. Uh, they have an opportunity here to absolutely crush Jacksonville and kind of reassert themselves as a power. Do they get that done? Yes, they do. Uh, there's no question about this game in my yep. mind. I agree as well. Tennessee is the undeniable favorite here. Um, Indianapolis and Las Vegas is the next one on the docket here. Las Vegas almost lost to the Jets. Uh, Indianapolis, on the other other hand, has been playing competitive football basically all season long. Uh, who we got in this one? 
I got the Colts here, uh, although I do think it'll be a good game. Um, I think the Raiders will bounce back and perform better, certainly, than than, uh, than last week when they just miraculously got out of there with the win against the Jets. That didn't even look like a miracle to me. That just looked like a dive bomb. Like, I don't it, – It seemed like a planned, uh, you know, suicide attempt by the, the, jet, the Jets there. To there's too much information to the contrary of that decision for a guy that's been in the year the league for like 20 years. But it is, Greg, it, it is Greg Williams. So <sighs> Right, it is Greg Williams. All right. Anyways here, uh, those same Jets uh, will be playing against the Seahawks this week. Um, I don't think that there's too much reason for diagnosing this one, but Seattle just lost to the Giants, so I open it up for the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I'll go with Seattle. Uh, they're not losing – playing that bad twice in a row. I mean, yeah. if they do play that bad, they probably still would win. <laughs> yeah, the Jets, uh, the Jets are not as vulnerable – or excuse me, they're considerably more vulnerable – than the Giants. Uh, you could play horror. It's they're like Jacksonville. You could play like the Vikings did last week and still scrape out a win. I expect Seattle to do so as well. Um, NFC North matchup uh, between the Packers and the Lions doesn't have a whole lot of relevance to Vikings fans, although I'm sure we'd all like to see the Packers lose. I don't foresee that happening. Do you? No, Packers are going to win this game. Detroit's really bad. They should not have five wins. Yep. 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 And yep, I'll go with Green Bay too. Um, New Orleans and Philly is the next one here. Uh, Jalen Hurts makes his first official start. Uh, the Carson about that? Show. Like, this game is Taysom Hill versus Jalen Hurts. Who would have guessed? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely an intriguing game. I don't know how competitive of a game it is, but because Drew Brees and Carson Wentz aren't in there, uh, I'd say it's probably more competitive just because Jalen Hurts could be a really good quarterback. You don't really know what the ceiling is there yet. And on the flip side, Taysom Hill, he's thrown – he threw his first touchdown in his third start. I mean, is he really a quarterback yet? I don't. I have questions still. Yeah. So who gets it done here? Taysom Hill or Jalen Hurts in his first NFL start? A winner, take, by the way. I'm going to take the Saints, but not because of the quarterback position. I'm just going to take the Saints because they're better everywhere besides quarterback, I think. Um, there's just – Jalen's situation is not good um, to be in. Uh, so I'm going to take uh, – I guess technically I'm take, taking Taysom Hill here. Yeah, I'm going to take New Orleans as well. Uh, did you, If you paid attention at all to – the last game that Philadelphia – I mean, they can't protect it all. Yeah, it's right. Like, That's what I'm saying. Wentz isn't good. Uh, he's also, like – he's he'd probably be considerably better on a normal team. This team literally can't block anything. They're getting – anyone can get pressure on Philly right now. So, I expect New Orleans to do that, um, and I expect to win this probably by two scores. Um, Atlanta at the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, I think that this is a matchup between kind of – two teams that have sort of failed in their aspirations for this season, potential, oh, yeah. higher potential for winning um, than their records suggest. Uh, but this could be a fun shootout between two guys that like to fling it down the field to very athletic and fun pass catchers. If it's not already too late, um, this might be, you know, a, a case where Anthony Lynn's job is on the line. Um I'm going to take Atlanta because for whatever reason, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, if it's, he doesn't connect with the players or if it's the opposite, maybe they connect too well with him. And I don't know, but I'm going to take the Falcons here just because it seems like the chargers are finding ways to lose just a little bit more than the Falcons are. Yep. I'm going to take Atlanta too. I just don't think the chargers are ready. I think everything we've seen this season is kind of uh, a testament to that. We've seen the potential for Herbert and several other players, but uh, I just don't think they're ready. They're not, they're not, collectively ready as a team they need a couple mm -hmm. more pieces they need a new coach probably they just need changes um 
So next year, maybe. Uh, not this year. I'm taking Atlanta. Uh, this next one's fun because it has NFC implications. Uh, it also has two teams that I don't really have a good read on, and that's Washington and San Francisco. Um, two of the best defensive lines in football playing against each other. Uh, Washington coming off of the biggest win in, what, five years probably, uh, beating the undefeated Steelers last week. Now they get San Francisco, who is depleted offensively still, uh, but we have seen that they can remain competitive with just about anyone be- with their coaching. Uh, but this is, a tough, this is a tough one for Kyle Shanahan because of the way that defense is playing in Washington. And now, all of a sudden, they have the division to play for, and it's, in, it's right in the palm of their hands, and they've got an opportunity to get a big NFC win here. Uh, yeah, this is a straight up, to- uh, you know, coin toss for me. And I'm with you that I don't really have a read on either one. Uh, I feel like both of them, both teams are kind of a little bit with, along with the Vikings, but differently where I think these two teams can rely on their defense a little bit more. Um, whereas the Vikings is kind of the offense, but I'm going to take, uh, Washington just because we talk about the Niners kind of relying on defense yet. They just give up 30 something points and let Josh Allen throw all over them. So, uh, I'm going to take Washington here. I'm going to take Washington, too, uh, for Chase Young. Um, he yeah. has such a big impact on the game that I didn't even realize that. Did you, uh, did you see the Mike Tomlin quote uh, where he was talking to Chase Young? Mm-mm. He said, well, I'm glad that none of my teams are going to be in a position to take a guy like you because if we are in a position to take a guy like you, that means we didn't win more than three games, and we're going to be winning games <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it, okay, Chase Young, the, the impact that he had on last week's game, just literally putting his arm up and he gets close enough to the quarterback every time where he can throw his arm up and get a pass deflection like twice a game. It's crazy how much pressure he gets on the quarterback. You can't single block him anymore. Uh, He's that dangerous in San Francisco. They like to run the ball. um, And that's good for them because Chase Young can't be as dangerous. Uh, But that defense in Washington is just so much better with Ron Rivera as the head coach. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to take Washington here. I do think this is a toss-up game, but this is also a defining game, um, and I think Washington is ready. Uh, I kind of want them to keep the name of the Washington football team. I do. I think it I works for them. They- <laughs> I still, my dream of Washington Monuments is, is uh, falling. falling. <laughs> but that was my dream. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to happen soon. Um, all right, last two here, and both of them should be competitive and fun matchups for the tail end of the week here. Uh, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. So Pittsburgh, as I just said, coming off their first loss against Washington. Buffalo coming off of probably the best game of Josh Allen's young career. They look really, really good when they're playing well. And Pittsburgh, on the flip side, didn't look great in their loss. And in addition to that, um, they are a team that makes young players look bad regularly. So this is an interesting matchup just between Josh Allen and probably the best defense in the NFL. Who gets this one done? Uh, yeah, I got I got Buffalo in this one. Um, I've always I've been on this train kind of that, that Pittsburgh is you know I don't want to say fraud, but weren't as good as eleven and record or eleven and zero said they were. Uh, so I'm going to take the Bills. I'm going to take Buffalo too. Um, I think this is this is kind of the you know when you're eleven and zero, you know you're getting into the playoffs, right? It becomes more about uh, can we get the perfect season. So to me, that loss last week takes the the foot off the pedal a little bit. Uh, basically, Pittsburgh needs to win one more game here. They're not going to get the bye, I don't think. Kansas City is going to ultimately be the one team in the AFC that gets the bye. They're basically playing for the two seed right now. Um, I think Mike Tomlin's team have as good of a coach as he is. He does have his teams regularly play down to their competition. And I think they will play with Buffalo 
but I think Buffalo's going to win here because I think they care more about this win. This win may or may not solidify the AFC East for Buffalo. So this is a big opportunity for them. I think they take advantage of it more than Pittsburgh does. Uh, and the final one here is the biggest opportunity of the entire week, and that's Cleveland playing against the Baltimore Ravens. The reason why I say it's a big opportunity is it's not just the opportunity to be number two in their division behind solely Pittsburgh. Um, it also – it's going to give them the inside track to a playoff spot and a high playoff spot at that. But also it's going to give them a chance to, to climb even further if Pittsburgh does slide, like I just said. Mm-hmm. And ultimately they haven't beaten Baltimore in forever. They just don't beat Baltimore. And considering just kind of the the dead narrative that I'm just going to bring up for the hell of it, that Cleveland moved to Baltimore, they just hate Baltimore. This is a huge opportunity emotionally, um, on paper, coaching-wise for Kevin Stefanski. He's trying to get an award. I mean, for some of these players on this team, like Baker Mayfield, who was trying to show that he's actually good, uh, this is a huge, huge game. It's going to be on national TV. Uh, does Cleveland get it done, or does Baltimore kind of get back on the right track and heading towards – the playoff picture. I think what the Browns offense showed last week, I wouldn't have picked the Browns in this game if I hadn't seen that. So I'm going to take the Browns based on what they did. Now it was the Tennessee Titans. I know, uh, which defense isn't very good. This is very different, but um, they beat a really good team last week, which I didn't expect. uh, And I think they do that again this week. I think Cleveland, right, is probably the most common team that people have thrown out for with the term fraud this year. Uh, just because they, I mean, they lost. technically, I believe that they've been outscored by their opponents, like overall total points, and they're still nine and three, which is kind they of have not beaten a good team yet, other than the Titans last week. So yeah. you're right, last week kind of set the tone. It's like, can you do it again? We're be- we're sort of in the same position the Vikings were at a couple weeks ago with Cleveland. Now it's like you you have this opportunity, like you you've got our attention now. Uh, if you can beat the Ravens, all of a sudden we're going to start talking about you as a threat to win the AFC. Uh, but I'm going to take Cleveland. I'm going to take them hesitantly because I think that John Harbaugh is going to be more prepared for this game. But they are playing in Cleveland. Kevin Stefanski is kind of on his game. Um, and I think Cleveland is kind of rolling. I mean, Baker Mayfield, like, you can talk as much as you want if you keep playing like he did last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure he loves that opportunity. If he wins this game, he gets to open his mouth again. So I like Cleveland's chances. I would love to see it happen. Um, I'm going to take Cleveland as well. Uh, so with that said, that wraps up all of our picks for the week here. And I believe it wraps up our show as well. Uh, do you have any final thoughts that you have for the week here before we, uh, be finish up here? I, I really don't. Uh, I'm excited though. We get Joe Buck to call in the game. So that's always a good time, right? Yeah. You piss someone off by saying that, but I'm also, ex- I'm also excited about that. I, I do like Joe Buck and I think it'll be an entertaining game. I'm very much looking forward to this, even if it doesn't go in the Vikings route. Um, You know, six and seven is still competitive with the way that things have shaped up. Losing to Tampa Bay isn't embarrassing. I think there's a lot of just, there's a lot more room for issues to happen in this game uh, because of who you're playing against, but there's also less on the line because you're playing a superior opponent. So I'm excited for this one. I hope this one turns out in Minnesota's favor. That being said, uh, I don't foresee it, but hey, I love getting things about the Vikings wrong and I'm open to it this week for sure. So uh, thank you all for listening to our show. 
Uh, we always appreciate that. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. Uh, that's where you'll find us as well. Um, you can find us on the Daily Norseman. Make sure to check out Climbing the Pocket, the network, and all the content that our fellow content creators are creating on behalf of that network. Uh, drop us a comment either on Daily Norseman or, or YouTube. You can watch Drew and I talk on camera via the Zoom app. Uh, and yeah, so thank you for listening. And we will catch you guys next week. Thank you.